Hey, welcome back to the Dropping In Surf Show, episode 12. My name is Rob Case. I am a surf paddling technique coach located in Belmarin Keys, California. And my co-host, Jim Sigelnik, is a doctor of physical therapy located in Greenbrae, California. This week, we recorded an interview on Tuesday, July 28th, in our evening, with Dr. Stephen Duig of Griffith University on the Gold Coast of Australia and Pere Kempistol, uh, also on the Gold Coast of Australia. Pere is the creator of the Surf Pentagon, which is a program designed to help surfers improve their surfing ability. Griffith University pops up every time I look up surf research. <laughs> so I've always been so excited to talk to somebody from Griffith University because it was like, like Jim and I were quoting Oliver Farley from there and I've quoted from other studies and, and you guys as well. Uh, and there's, there's really, you know, if you look at surf research, there's probably only a handful of organizations involved in it right now. And we're, we're really at, you guys are really at the infancy of it all which is, I think, super exciting. Um, so what, what was it like? Like, how'd you guys end up at Griffith? Let's kind of start there. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I did my, my bachelor and my, my PhD up at Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane. And I was also working in elite sport at the time. Uh, so on completing my PhD, I was, I was fortunate enough during that time to be able to get some experience as a as a sessional academic, a you know, classroom tutor. Then also got to do some some lecturing and, and course design. So I think that put me in a in a very good position to to get the, the job at Griffith University. Which I mean, as as we just showed you the uh, Bolinga Beach out the front here, and I'd like to show that again as to what sort of uh, conditions we have to work in. Man, uh, that's right. It's, it's very hard, so it's... Yeah, very fortunate to, to get the job at Griffith. It's, uh, it's my ideal place to, to live. It's a great university. We've got some, some great researchers, some great senior academics, uh, and then some great opportunities in, in terms of our partnerships. So, funny enough, I, was, uh, I did my PhD on, on hamstring strain injuries, so I've, I've moved from land-based to water-based animals. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the surfing stuff, I mean, that's in a nutshell, the, the surfing stuff has really come out through, I guess, uh, Pate, who was a, an undergrad at Griffith University. So I'll, I'll let him chat about his, uh, <laughs> his leading experience. Yeah, so, well, I was really lucky to have, first of all, the opportunity to come to Australia and study here, because I'm originally from Spain. Um, and probably if I would have stayed there, I would all of this wouldn't have happened, <laughs> fair chance. Um, so really grateful for that. And then, yeah, um, I studied my exercise science here. And since then, everything, I think everything I've been studying or learning, I'm kind of thinking, probably like you guys, like how can I apply this to surfing? Everything I learned. And yeah, we had this amazing opportunity to start um, doing some pilot um, research this last summer and that's how we started doing this little um surf paddling research with steve yeah and that was really good really exciting oh that's super cool so i'll just uh, I'll, I'll take the opportunity just to, to pump up uh i guess myself but, but more so the, the university uh so 
Um, great position, obviously. Surfing is a, a very popular sport here on the, the Gold Coast, but we have in our undergrad program opportunities to, well, on one of the capstone uh, courses that I convene, students get the chance to, to deliver a, a training program that they design uh, and deliver um, to essentially assess the effectiveness and, and by the way they do that is you know fitness tests and Pele was my, my undergrad student at the time and I wanted to look at this surf paddling study uh, so yeah Griffith as a university gives these great opportunities we've got a pool we've got a track uh, we use the, the Olympic size swimming pool um, yeah to essentially to measure all of these different variables that are related to, to paddling performance uh, and then it was from that that I suggested that, that he and a couple other students come on and, and do a, a research summer scholarship. So some, some pretty amazing opportunities that we give our students at uh, Griffith. <laughs> um, but yeah, he came on and that's where we did the, uh, the intervention study, which you may have seen some of the video. Uh, that, was, uh, that was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, had a 30, started with 34 interventions, always have some drop-offs. Uh, Four-week program, very intense, three sessions per week and then we split them into their, their training groups. So, yeah, I guess uh, that's a little uh, yeah, introduction as to yeah, the, um, the relationship between Pedro and I. Yeah, it probably wasn't that hard to twist his arm for that study, was it, Perry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were both pretty keen to get into that one. That was, that was pretty fun, it was very fun. Interventions are a nightmare to run, trying to coordinate people to come in and follow up and yeah, it's. We were lucky there were no waves during those days, cause <laughs> like, yeah, it'd be hard to move thirty-four surfers when the waves are pumping. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think Jim and I were just talking about that today. How difficult it would be to get a bunch of surfers just to to stay focused in a study. Oh yeah, I have to live twenty minutes from the beach, otherwise I'd get nothing done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you guys all done with the study or are you still in the process of uh, doing the results? Yeah, we, we're, uh, we are analyzing. The, the plan is, I mean, it's a, a pilot study because of the, the drop-offs. We, didn't, we weren't quite powered, but it's, uh, it's still, it's a, it's a nice pilot study. Um, so we've, you know, we do have some, some preliminary results um, we've finalized and, and we'll be in the process of of writing the manuscript to get it out to the uh yeah to the keen readers cool very cool i just know what is online through the griffith website like can you guys can you briefly take us through what the study design is what's the purpose um kind of some of that interventional stuff you're doing yeah you want to take this one or? yeah yeah um so well we started um I, I don't think it, it was done before, so um, Farley, Coin have done some research on max strength um, training. I think they've also done some research on um, heat and then short interval training interventions. Um, but we decided to include mobility in, the, in the one of the training groups. And then the other training group was doing um, sprint training in the pool. Um, we, we were both on, the, on that group and <laughs> it was tough. And then the other guys were doing some strength training. Um, so we compared the effect of those three training interventions. Um, and how we did it is we started with some testing. We 
test it a lot. <laughs> we test um, paddling sprint, we test um, shoulder strength on the Biodex. Um, unfortunately, it didn't um, give us too um, accurate um, uh, figures, so we decided probably we won't include that on the study. Um, but then we also, so we tested sprint paddling time, we tested force on a, um, on a, give me the word. Um, In terms of tethered? Yeah, tethered yeah. paddling. Yeah. And then we also tested strength, mobility. Um, and then we took the groups through three different training programs and then we retested after those four weeks. Mm, very cool. What kind of what kind of stuff was in the strength training group? What were you guys doing? They were doing a bit of everything, right? Like they were doing pull-ups, med ball slams. They were doing eccentric pull-ups. Um, they were doing a lot of shoulder internal and rotation, um, external rotation stuff. They were doing straight arm, cable pull downs. Um, yeah. So the, the strength was really just based around improving. You know, we had shoulder extension through the, the pull-up, but we also overloaded that, so super maximal uh, effort or intensity. So, uh, supersetting with med ball. So we're, we're really just recovering the whole force velocity spectrum uh, in terms of, you know, low load, um, high speed, high load, um, slow speed. So we wanted to cover all of that. Um, obviously, shoulder rotational strength, in addition to that shoulder extension, uh, so it was all just an upper body focus with the uh, with the strength. The, um, the conditioning, as, as Pei alluded to, was was, uh, was horrible. Three sessions a week, it was just max efforts, 25 or 50 meter. It was uh, it was it was hard. It was very hard. And then the uh, the mobility. So there's uh, when we do publish, we'll have a uh, a little uh, some supplementary material that we can add into that that manuscript to show those that are interested. Um, with the mobility exercises, so it's you know it's not your your traditional static stretching. We're really, uh, I guess it, it gets referred to as sort of your, your end range conditioning, um, but really trying to strengthen through end range shoulder extension, internal rotation, external rotation. Um, and interesting, interestingly, with with the mobility, like it's it's really strengthening at end range, which I think is very mm -hmm. important. Um, but it was just looking at the results, like in terms of the pull-up strength, um, all groups improved, uh, which is I thought was interesting. Four weeks, we really needed a bit longer or you know, just a, a few more participants would have been great. Um, but we were, we were constrained by time. You know, we had, only had this summer. Christmas was approaching. So, mm. yeah, it was, it was really just a, a bit of a pilot study just to, to um, explore the, the effects of of strength only, mobility only, conditioning only. Um, but the mobility group, they, yeah, they, they did, they are the highest improvement with the pull-up strength. Um, they did see some improvement in the conditioning, although the, the conditioning group did see the, the greatest and, and the a sort of reduction in the fatigue um, across the three 40 meter time trials. Uh, so it was it was interesting that the mobility stuff and, and be I think it's really set a nice foundation for us to then explore some, um, we'll conduct some some um, further studies as to how these things can can come into a, a program. And essentially, what we want to do is, is provide information to better surfers. Um, right. And we, you know, 
like we want to help the elite. We want Australia to win uh, to win gold in <laughs> hopefully the twenty twenty one Olympics. Um, hold on, yeah. hold on, stop, stop, stop! No, no, no! Re- oh, rewind. I was wondering when you were going to stop me there. I was just going to keep going. <laughs> uh, I'm a fan of Australian surfers. Yeah, right? me too. Me too. It's hard. It's hard not to root for everyone. All of surfing. Uh, for the oh, it's going to be good to see yeah. in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, Rob asked me who would I rather surf like, uh, Joel Parkinson or McFanning, and I said McFanning because he seems like a nice guy. He <laughs> <laughs> um, knows how to do so sharks. <laughs> hey so what kind of stuff are you guys doing for the mobility i think um you guys targeted shoulder and thoracic spine yeah was it something specific with the shoulder like flexion extension and thoracic was it extension rotation or what'd you guys go after there i should say prep you that jim's a doctor of physical therapy so he's going to look at it from that perspective every time yeah, so I think we should give credit to the guys um, from FRC because we use some of their stuff. I think um, uh, like end range, they call it pels and rails, but it's essentially like isometric strength at end range for shoulder internal and external rotation. Then we did some of, so you get the shoulder at end range and then you decrease 10 degrees and then you go um, um, do some lift-offs from that position. Um, so it's basically strengthening at that, at that end range. I'm probably trying to, correct me if I'm wrong, but trying to shift the uh, uh, stretch muscle, like stretch force curve, like the length force curve. Because um, we know that at that, when the muscle is completely lengthened, it's not able to produce great amount of force. But if we do um, strengthen the muscle at that end range, we're just shifting that curve. So we're getting the muscle stronger in positions that they don't usually, um, they're not used to work at. Um, so yeah, a lot of capsular work, um, external, internal rotation. We did some lifts um, with like in, within this position, like a swimming position. Um, and then we worked on thoracic extension too, a little bit. Jim and I totally nerd out over this because we, uh, I have Jim at some of my, my paddling uh, camps and he'll do a little PT thing. And we're always like, oh man, how cool would it be to have like a, a study that, that took a before and an after after doing all this stuff. And, and I sent your study to him and I was like, look, they did it. They did it. They did Thoracic. <laughs> I got so excited about it. It was so cool. <laughs> So where does this, uh, you said you, uh, this study is kind of springboard into other studies or other things or what's going on with it? We've got a few ideas in the, uh, in the pipeline. So Griffith, Griffith has a uh, formal partnership with Surfing Australia. So we're, we're currently exploring how we might put some sort of study together that can complement, you know, our, our, um, uh, our professional surfers. So, I mean, I can't speak too much about it at the moment, but... Oh, come you know, on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to say that it'll happen and it doesn't happen and it looks silly, but it's... Yeah, so we... Uh, yeah, we... It's, it's, uh, I think it's yeah, allowed for the springboard, you know, the pilot, the pilot uh, data is there. So we, we want to then see how we can help our, our, um, our surfers improve paddling, obviously get on the waves easier. 
um, you know, energy economy with getting out and, and just being able to stay out longer and, you know, not waste energy, I guess, um, on paddling and, and saving that for, for landing all those aerials and, and winning <laughs> gold. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the paddling stuff, we're, we're hopeful that we can then, you know, collaborate with, uh, with Surf Australia, obviously, is the... Um, is that our national sporting organisation for surfing, um, and that just that'll then allow us to reach further, um, you know, get the attention of, of other surf researchers or even just surfers that that are interested in, in improving uh, their, their whole surfing across the whole spectrum. You know, paddling. We want to look at some skill acquisition, and and I'm hopeful that a um, that a young um, aspiring uh, surf researcher Ricky Dan is going to come on and do a PhD, and we want to look at some some skill acquisition, uh, whereby we, we get them into a. Uh, I'm not going to give too much on this in case someone <laughs> tries to take the ideas, um, but essentially we we want to get a uh, surf pool. Um, you know, as we can standardise the wave, um, the environment, rather than going out into the wild, um, and then just look at how we can how we can um, yeah how we can further or improve our our ability to um, for them to acquire skill. So yeah, we, we've it's, we've got some really cool studies in the works, um, but I think that one, like to me, you know, an intervention period with uh, you know two different types of of um, interventions um, over a period of time, and then you go back in the wave pool and see how that that um, changes. And that's that surf performance, and I I love the paddling, you know, I love the, the foundations of, of surfing, but I think. Moving into that performance stuff, that that where that's where it becomes really exciting. So, um, yeah, there's there's that aspect, and I think um, the uh, the shoulder injury stuff, like moving into the the injury aspect as well, is, yeah. is is quite important. And coming from a hamstring strain injury background, it's you know injuries aren't. Well, I guess hamstring injuries seem to be quite sexy, but you know injury prevention isn't necessarily. Um, but I, I my vision is to to have Griffith as the the world leading surf research center, uh, and have and attract um, yeah um, senior researchers, aspiring um, researchers, you know, plenty of PhD, master students, and and have the world's best come to the university to to improve their, their surfing and to to get amongst our our work. So that's the uh, that's the big picture, I guess. Is, is establishing that, that center. So, yeah, we're. I'd like to cover all things surfing, um, from paddling, you know, duck diving, breath hold, um, yeah, injuries, common injuries, lower back, shoulder, performance, skill in terms of the skill acquisition stuff. Yeah, and it's there's been a few inquiries so far uh, today, but I'm, I'm hoping that that'll uh, increase and yeah, th there'll be plenty more coming out of Griffith University. That's very cool, and it and it. I like how you guys kind of start at the elite level. Do you, you know, this is like just a hypothetical, you know, most surfers are, are not at that level, at that performance level. Um, how much do you think the studies will have to alter for, you know, the average Joe uh, or Jane out there versus the elite? Yeah, so the, I mean, well, I spoke about the, the skill acquisition stuff, but be honest it's you're going to have a, a greater effect with the guys that are intermediate you know the, the juniors the up-and-comings mm -hmm. you know it's you know i don't think you can really target it at the guys where there's not much room to, to wiggle so 
in fact the the research while it, you'd hope that it, it can translate to the top and, and help them improve by one or two percent i think with our with our research the majority is those up and coming and and then if, with recreational so that you know the stuff that we did with the the surf paddling we'll, we'll get the exercises out there and the information so those that are trying to improve their, their paddle performance can use some of that information uh, and, and what we've tried to do with the, the videos and, and with our, uh, our uh, dissemination is to try to make it as, as lay as possible and as, as user friendly so that people understand they don't have to go and read a paper, it's there, the video's there, they can get that information and, and then immediately apply that to their, their own surfing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting working with the elite but I, I think the, the uh, contribution you can make when they're already absolute guns is minimal so yeah the, everyone underneath is where there's improvement so that's yeah we, we're we're uh we're inclusive we'll take everyone we want to help everyone in terms of surfing and, and boost the sport it's a great sport well minimal minimal improvement at the elite level is a big deal yeah <laughs> it is yeah you trying to get that one percent yeah absolutely yeah it's uh, is that where uh the surf pentagon comes into play uh for the rec- recreational surfers yeah, perhaps. So this, the surf pentagon started a couple of years ago. Uh, I was trying to combine it with my studies too. And after doing the surf paddling study, actually, that's when it got like the most, um, the biggest push because um, some of the, not, not everyone, but some of the guys that um, participated in the study said, hey, um, what's up when the study finishes? We want to keep training. We really feel that this is helping us to um, um, paddle better, feel more confident in the water. We feel stronger and we want to keep training. Um, so that's how we started and we then just kept training. We did a 12-week program. Again, that included, um, that included a mix of all the training modalities, which I think is great because um, paddling is not only strength, I think it's paddling is strength, you need that um, endurance and you also need that mobility and we also include some breath hold um, stuff, breath hold work. Um, yeah, and we really, we had a really good time. We did like 12 weeks of training and then we retested at the end, everyone improved and we're just building a really nice community here. Uh, then unfortunately all the COVID things started um, and that backed us up a little bit but we'll, we'll start um, running those training sessions soon hopefully. Very cool. Not not that I'm biased at all, but I would throw in surfing paddling technique also with that. <laughs> I agree. I think that's really important. That's really important. Yeah. Do you, do you know a little bit about that, Big Rock? <laughs> <laughs> I'll pack my bag. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, speaking of, of of kind of just measurements, going back to that study, I know you know you guys did use the tether to measure force. Um, what was the decision behind that versus uh, other technologies because i know um other studies university of porto uh marcio i'm gonna butcher his last name b i'll just say b he used the tether and some others have used the tether um what was what was it about that measurement of force versus others that drew you to that yeah i guess access to equipment and very uh very limited time to try to get access to that (laughs) equipment so up at the university we have a, an Olympic swim squad, Michael Bowles swim squad. So numerous Olympians that are there. So they're supported through our academy, through our 
the Queensland Academy of Sport, so it's government funded. Um, they have a, a tether which they use um, for essentially monitoring athletes, and there's been a little bit of work done on on um, yeah the you know, measuring force in swimming with tether different strokes and, and whatnot. Um, we unfortunately yeah we didn't have the the um, equipment in terms of like to, to measure or assess technique. We did go for the, uh, the cameras side on when we were doing the 40 meter sprints, uh, trying to sort of one in front, um, we'll try our best to, and then one by the side, be great to get underwater, and then a drone up top as well, just to get the, the whole picture. But the, uh, the tether, I was just interested in the amount of force, we can then measure force with each individual stroke. Uh, while recognising that, of course, it, it's not, um, it's not, it's not completely representative of being out in the ocean because you're paddling against resistance. You've got that uh, that that, um, that tether that's preventing you from continuing forward. So it it wasn't completely um, ecological, but it was uh, yeah. I was out. It was out of interest. I wanted to know, you know how much stroke they were producing. Uh, sorry, how much force they were producing per stroke and, and whether that had any relationship with their 40 meter time trial, the strength stuff, the mobility. So it was really, that, that was the, uh, the decision behind including the tether. Yeah, you just needed a baseline essentially and to see yeah. did they improve or not, essentially, yeah. I only asked, it's, it's not a loaded question. I, I use the Aquanex system, which is um, developed by uh, um, Dr. Rod Haverluck here in the States and he's a big swim coach. Um, and then there's a company out of Finland and another company out of China that are developing new force um, tools. And I've been testing them. And, and I just ask because I, I always wonder about the margin of error of it all. Because uh, some of them use accelerometers, some of them use GPS. And um, I, I was wondering because I've seen now two studies now that have used the tether. Um, and I, I was wondering if that was just, it just limits the, the, uh, range of error or not. Um, but apparently it could just be budgets because <laughs> yeah. this stuff's pretty expensive when it comes out. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the, some of the, uh, the future studies that we were planning to do would be, be great to get them into a, a dark room and, and do some kinematic analyses of, of technique. Um, we've got, we do have access to underwater cameras. It was just too short a time to try to, to get it in. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there, there is other, other tech out there. Um, and we will hopefully be able to use it all in the, in the future. In terms of the reliability, we, again, we were, uh, we were affected by, by COVID. Uh, we'd had some guys coming in. Uh, we, we got a, a small um, group of the, the guys that we did the intervention with that came in to do test retest. But the plan was to, to get at least 15 to do a, some correlational stuff to see you know, the, the, the reliability between test retest. But certainly the, the guys that we did, there was, yeah, it was within 5% with the test retest on the, uh, the 10 second all out bout and also the, the 30 second. So um, in terms of reliability, it looked okay, but I think it would be good you know, to have some um, yeah, some other measures in there as well, given the tether isn't tr a true representation of, of paddling. But just, uh, I mean, just on that, um, and I think interestingly, just looking at some of the, the results, as you'd ex probably expect, the, um, there was 
what a strong relationship or correlation between that tether, the uh, the mean force across the, the 10 seconds uh, and also the 30 seconds and your, your 40 meter time trial. And then it was a, a smaller um, uh, effect, a weaker a relationship between the strength and also um, that, that tether and, and for, uh, 40 meter time trial. So from all of the, the variables that we looked at it, it seemed to be that, that strength was the one that was had the, the strongest relationship with your 40 meter time trial. Um, but it was, I mean, it was interesting to see that certainly the the, uh, the participant, and this is just breaking down into individual, the, uh, the participant that was the fastest and he was rocketed through the water like you wouldn't believe. It was a, a 21 second 40 meter paddle uh, from a starting position. And I mean, if you, if you compare that to the current 50 meter freestyle world record, it's, you know, it's, they, they haven't even got a dive start rather than a, a dead start. And so he was, yeah. how tall is he? 203, 204 yeah. centimetres tall. Weighed uh, 81 kilos. Spanish. Something. Spanish. <laughs> but he lives in Australia. That's what did it. Right there. there you go. There you go. <laughs> From the Canary Islands too, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So he's a Canary Islander. Um, but watching this guy, um, he, he was like a spider on water, high elbows, diving like he didn't have a big push phase hmm. um but certainly it was just high elbows and just it was impressive to watch now that we have the expert here i want to ask um you what do you think about leg kicking because that was one of the questions everyone yeah. would ask was like shall we kick with the legs are we allowed to set do whatever you want just get to the end as fast as you can um yeah <laughs> so we saw yeah, some kicking we saw some people just keeping their legs up there was that study done showing kicking helped in those three groups. Um, I'll tell you the, I'll give you the long answer. How about that? Since you guys are uh, analytical like me. So in swimming, what they've found is that kicking does actually add propulsive force and thrust backwards um, through uh, basically kind of like a swimming eel, how they move through water there's these uh, opposing vortices that shoot water backwards and it propels them forward. And so the foot, when it's bent or when it's flexed um, straight, acts with the lower leg and creates that kind of motion, right? And so you get this backward thrust similar to like a swimming eel. Um, and that actually has been proven to improve their swim times. Um, however, well, I'll, I'll get to that point. And then, and then in addition to that, with the downward thrust of the foot and the leg, it has that uh, equal and opposite reaction of lifting the hips and lifting the, the, uh, the legs and reducing drag overall. So they get higher, higher speeds because of the increased thrust and because of the reduced resistance. So they get those two factors helping. Translating that to surfing though, since there haven't been really any studies done on it. Um, here's my hypothesis of it, is that there's no way that we on a surfboard, even if we're on a shortboard, are going to get the thrust from the uh, vortices that are created because we're not submerged in the water enough. Uh, there's not enough of our leg actually submerged in the water to get that kind of flexing motion. So any improvement in speed is going to be solely due to the fact that it's lifting the tail higher in the water and reducing form drag underneath so that's to you guys to go improve now 
I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for signing up to do that research. <laughs> so, but that's, that's the bottom line is that they, they've had the one study showing that it improves speed. Um, but I always tell clients it's kicking is number eight on my eight step checklist for level one. And I, and I say, hey, listen, if kicking throws you off your board, you're adding more drag and you're slowing yourself down more than, than you would have if you, if you didn't kick. Um, so there are certain things that are required in order to have a good um, effective kick as well as good effective propulsion and power in your stroke through, through the biomechanics. And that all happens with, the, with balance and several other steps above there. So if you kick and you can do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. but I, you know it's so funny because I bring in swim research all the time and that's why I think surf research right now is so exciting because swim research started back in the 60s and, and 50s and 60s really kind of came on 60s 70s and it was maybe a handful of, of organizations doing it just like surf research is right now around the world but we have such an advantage because we're in a world of of amazing technology versus the 60s and we have the whole swim world to kind of piggyback on and just basically alter maybe some of their studies to validate or or disprove whether or not they work on a surfboard or not so i think there's an almost an infinite number of research questions that you guys get to answer which is super exciting um but um it's also we're at our infancy we can basically build the future of surf research, which I, I don't know. Do you guys feel the same way? Cause I'm like super nerding out on it. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. And because of our, our swimming cousins, we can just, uh, we can just follow on from the research that I've done and, and test to see if it's the same in, in swimmers. Um, and I guess the, just touching on the, uh, the shoulder injury stuff. There was a, there was a, some, um, research by an Australian group, um, back in the, uh, the early noughties that looked at the, uh, the mobility. So going back to mobility, referring to the stuff that we've done, um, you know, there's that, that sweet spot, not enough, not enough um, internal uh, rotation, um, external rotation, you, you've got that increased risk of injury. Um, not enough increased risk, too much increased risk. So I think it's, it'd be interesting on the board, given that we are, like you said, we're on a surface, we're not fully submerged like a, a swimmer, um, and just sort of comparing to see the, the differences or whether that we, do, we still do see that phenomenon in, um, in the, the surface. And I think that, Jim, you might have some, some thoughts around that with mobility. Like we saw huge increases in mobility with our group. The strength, uh, sorry, not the strength, the strength weren't, um, but the, the conditioning and also the mobility groups just with that active, that hand raise like they do in, in yeah. swimming. Yeah, I was pretty personally fired up to see your guys' mobility work get the performance like output that it did because um, my profession right now is kind of like in this like divide of like kind of poo-pooing mo like more manual therapy based uh, mobility stuff, you know, saying it's like short term effects. It has no maybe carryover to performance. Everything's kind of shifting focus to more of an active approach so like uh strengthening conditioning um and what you guys kind of did hearing about it it's kind of like quasi like it wasn't it wasn't like classic passive stretching or manual therapy but you guys were kind of doing some like 
neat stuff at end range, maybe like isometric type stuff at end range. So like, I guess the clinician in me goes, you know, it's, it's neat to see because like, as far as I know, like the performance aspect hasn't been like greatly looked at with just looking at like how uh, an adjacent structure would affect performance. And what I mean by that is like, like in the clinical world, we can look at thoracic spine extension and go, okay, if we improve thoracic spine extension by whatever mechanism we think that happens by, that can help uh, patients with neck pain and um, shoulder pain. And the mechanism is debatable, you know, but there, there isn't really good evidence to say, okay, if you improve thoracic spine extension, that should help you swim better. And, and I think it's funny that you guys did that study because like when Rob and I met four or five years ago, like, like I was like, oh, that like, there's got to be that connection there. You know, thoracic spine extension, I see it in the clinic all day long. Athletes tell me it gets better or they feel stronger when things improve. Um, specifically in that area. So to see the mobility, and I think you said um, the mobility group got the biggest kickback on, was it was it uh, one, the strength test, the pull-up? What's up with that? Like, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty amazing, you know? Um, so that was super cool to see. But going back to like, some of your like uh, uh, ratio tests, there's some clinical research that looked at um, the external internal cuff ratios at zero degrees abduction. And then Farley's group actually did some with surfers <clears throat> at uh, 90 degrees abduction in the, in the, in the people were prone. And essentially he looked at like trying to find the ratio that would potentially predict injury. And, you know, the study has some limitations just with mainly the N. The N was kind of small, but like, I mean, I think there's something to that. Like, I think going where you guys are going with your goal, like, I think the elite athletes, so the people in the WSL, like, what I kind of visualize in the future is almost like how we would go to a primary care doctor and get a physical, right? So you can almost have a screening tool and be like, okay, like, you know, welcome to the QS. Uh, we're going to check your external to internal ratios and various degrees of abduction. And if there's something wonky there, like we're going to work on that. And if it's relevant, it should improve performance and prevent injury. So, yeah, I think the field's wide open. And I think what you guys are doing is is really great. And um, I could only imagine with your goals, you're just going to build off of... Um, the 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 things that you learn about from the prior research okay we could have done that a little better and um i'm really excited to see uh kind of where it goes like i've been a big fan of farley uh for a bit now and it's like you can almost like date him and coins research and go they're getting so much better at designing studies as they go you know and uh so it's been really fun to see and um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing more from you guys that's uh it's really cool Yes, it will be really exciting to, to follow on. I think the guys down at um, HPC, the High Performance Centre, they call it the, the Shepherd era. When he was down there, as we can see, you look at the literature and it's, there's just heaps of work. They did a lot of work mm. when they were down there and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And yeah, it's, I guess they were the, the pioneers certainly here. They did a lot of the work anyway, um, very prolific. So yeah, 
would like to take over. I know uh, Joseph's gone over to, to Shanghai and now uh, now is the, the performance manager for the UFC Institute there. Um, but yeah, he has he has some cool stuff. I've spoken to him and, and he's excited as well with uh, you know someone else taking off where where, where they left and and continuing. But um, just on the the mobility, like again, the mobility stuff. Just so we really drive it home is, is that um, you know we think mobility just stretches, but it was it was end range. It was you know your PNF stretching. It was isometrics. It was concentric. Eccentrics. Eccentrics at end range, and I, I think that. It must just be the uh, the transference from that you know end range strength training is, is what's helped the mobility group. But uh, anecdotally, the, all of the the uh, participants in that mobility mobility only group were talking about how they could feel the water, catch the water better, and it makes sense. You know, if you can if you can get into that that hyperextended position, which you know we we need our, our thoracic mobility for, and you can catch that water in that internal position and it just feels better because it has not any sort of tightness or restriction then then it should make you perform better so it's um yeah i think it's yeah it's exciting uh, mm. to, to put it all in together and then put it in this one i think would be uh would be amazing but that we can certainly improve our methodology with with, the, with what sort of uh, equipment that we used um so yeah we were uh, we've only got bigger and better things planned for the the near future yeah like uh so rob and i do these surf camps um that also got kind of thwarted with covid this year but um we have a level one which is uh as the name implies it's more of like an introduction and my portion of level one is going over different modules of um regions that complement what rob teaches and thoracic mobility specifically extension is in that and i usually preface it with there's a lot of clinical research that says there's a connection between thoracic spine mobility, specifically extension, with shoulder and neck function, mainly pain. And so uh, I kind of leave it at that. And then I, and then I throw a battery of um, like thoracic open books, which might be referred to as more dynamic. I kind of come from the old school. I've been practicing for a dozen years now, but I mean, I mean, I've been reading stretching based research since 2000 you know and so a lot of things have changed then uh since then um but it's pretty basic um so it's neat to see uh i I think we can all probably kind of like think of uh unique ways of getting the mobility and that's just kind of fun to nerd out on and talk about the mechanisms for why that happens but if you just get the mobility like it has to help shoulder function, which obviously connects to paddling, you know? And so like what Rob does very well, he's like the motor control guy, right? Like the biomechanics of paddling, talking form and this and that. And then there's all these extra things that I call prerequisites. Like you should probably have a certain amount of thoracic spine extension to make the whole system work more efficiently and obviously strength and endurance. But for me, it's it's really exciting to hear that you could maybe work mobility and see some see some uh, transference to some like strength performance. So that was super cool. You know, I'm I'm curious, Jim. This goes back to an earlier conversation we had. How you talked about um, talking about baseball. This is an ongoing in, inside joke, guys. But we somehow always get onto baseball. How the shoulder basically 
for a better term, mutates for pitchers than it does for other people. Was that a good summary of what we talked about earlier? Yeah, more or less. What he's referring to is um, uh, uh, scapular winging. And so the the body of evidence showing that um, winging may or may not be a abnormal finding or a finding that predicts or is relevant to pain, um, it might be more of a structural or neurological adaptation to performance and it might actually be yielding performance so we were kind of talking about the debate there yeah so this adaptation my where i'm going with this is it would be so interesting let's let's fast forward 10 years from now and we have you know people from all around the world come to you guys now and you're starting to see distinctions between how they were raised were they purely a surfer growing up were they a surfer swimmer growing up? Were they purely a surfer and then adult learner, or a, a swimmer and then adult learner surfer? Do they start to see? Do you start to see these adaptations in their mobility that are more beneficial than another? I'm, again, to me, like that, does a swimmer really have an advantage in paddling, or would because I see from a technique point of view, Australian surfers have a certain type of technique. Whereas there's Hawaiian surfers have a different kind of technique and Southern California has a different technique than Northern California. And I see these little tiny distinctions and be interesting for me from a technique point of view. Can you take all of these different distinctions that I see and do you see mobility differences or adaptations in the arms? And again, this is self-serving, but I don't know. That's, that's the way I think about how far we can take this. Yeah, I think you certainly the, uh, the the sporting history background comes into it. The intertubercular groove, like you spoke about, uh, was it cricket that you said? Yeah, like, yeah. cricket. <laughs> yeah, we like cricket, man. I'm really in cricket, <laughs> dude. Dude, I gotta tell you this story before you, I want to hear from you, Steve. But but listen, dude, I was I was in Australia and I made the mistake of calling a cricket bat a paddle. And the guy was was gonna kill me. He like turned around and was gonna like his head was gonna explode. It's a bat. I was like, oh sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, I think the, the technique and also the experience does come into it. Like you see some some bony adaptation, like the intertubercular groove, bicep uh, tendon sits in, um, does shift, so it sort of it twists. If you've got someone that has thrown their whole life so they've you know they've had time bone obviously takes longer to adapt and you do see these um these very specific adaptations so i think that would you know be very interesting to start if we could get the uh you know all these different um, styles if you like to um to assess yeah by paddling paddling technique and, and how that does vary and and what sort of uh, influence that has on um performance and, and perhaps some other some other structures that that influence mobility so yeah, you could bad. have like these these legendary families uh, of surfers and look at, you know, dorsiflexion of the ankle and of the hip and the knee and like, because some of these guys, they have this the most, most amazing mobility in their ankles and I look at them like they're like Gumby and I, I work every day at my mobility. I'm getting like maybe a half a millimeter a month improvement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there's some... Uh... Well, when I, in 2004, I was out in Australia, and uh, I realized how ridiculous it, it is for Americans to call baseball and use the championship game as the World Series. And it, ne- it never was weird to me. 
But like I was in Australia during. Do you guys know what the World Series is? Yes, yes we do. All right. So I, I was out in Australia, like hunting for pubs that were playing the World Series in the ah. states. I really wanted to see it, and I couldn't find a pub that was playing the World Series. And like in the middle of conversation, I realized what an ignoramus I must have looked to these guys because <laughs> I was going around asking, "Hey, are you guys showing the World Series?" Yeah. And they're like, "What are you talking about? The World Series? This is Australia." I'm like, "Yeah, I guess it should be called the American Series." I, <laughs> I just felt like such a loser. Um, but that's no, man, we got of... Canada in it. It's a North, Amer- North American series. That's yeah, that's right. That's I right. Technically, right. they are the, the world champions. There's just uh, yeah, just no one else is um, included. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so the world series sound and just the American series. Right. It's all about yeah. the <laughs> Yeah, it could get carried away there. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well, Steve, I was uh, really intrigued and interested with all the research you, d- you did with hamstrings, man. Um, uh, when when I, uh, I I had actually read some of your research in the past, and um, uh, and it kind of correlates with some other research talking about like the eccentric training versus concentric and what that does to pennation angle and fascicle length, and um, y- it seems like you and uh, your your crew of of, of cronies did quite a bit on the hamstring yeah um <clears throat> what prompted that interest so i during my undergrad i uh i had a keen that my aspirations were elite sport work as a strength conditioning coach and perhaps like uh the rest of my naive cohort we thought as soon as we'd have our undergrad degree then then uh, these elite sporting organizations would just be fighting over us which uh Turns out that's not the case, believe it or not. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I was I was fortunate enough to get involved with um, with Anthony Shield, who was my um, principal supervisor for my PhD. Uh, I helped them out with their uh, some of their work. Um, the, that was the essentially the, uh, the inception of the, the Nord board um, that was uh, that was coming out of the uh, the lab. It was um, very prehistoric in terms of what it looked like. Um, but it was, uh, I was helping those guys out through my undergrad and, and doing some research experience um, stuff through, throughout the summer. And, and I saw the, uh, you know, I saw a, a trend with those at the top, if they weren't um, previous players and that had, they had PhDs. And um, I saw that as value adding to an organization. If you can be an expert, and I'm by no means an expert in, in hamstring injuries, but if you had some skill set that can complement the program, then then that, that's probably going to improve your your chances of being employed. So, yeah, I set out on the uh, the postgraduate experience and um, hamstrings being the, the most common injury in running-based sports, I thought, what not better injury? And I've got some, some guys here that are doing some pretty cool stuff up at, at QT. Um, so, yeah, just fortunate to, to get involved. And, um, yeah, we, we continued our, our work and, um, yeah, got to work with Elite Sport and, you know, I've received invitations to present at numerous clubs here in Australia, over at Leicester City Football Club, they're advocates of our work, um, you know, present at World Congresses, so it's been able to travel the world and, and present, it's pretty uh, pretty exciting. So yeah, the, the hamstring, that was really just a lucky that I was at QT with, with Tony Shield and, and they were really starting to, to build some critical mass with the, the research team and, and our, our outputs as well. So. 
yeah, that was uh, it was great fun. Hamstrings, as I said earlier, they seem to be the uh, the sexy injury. Um, get a lot of attention, especially on on the likes of Twitter. There are some great uh, battles, maybe debates, um, more so battles. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I got into the, the hamstring stuff, and and it, uh, it'd be interesting with um, to further explore, you know, some of the to delve a little bit deeper into, you know, the um, the mechanisms, I guess, behind you know what's improves your mobility and, and you know getting the ultrasound onto some of the, the, the muscles associated with with the shoulder and and then have a look at uh, some of the architecture. Uh, we know with the hamstrings, at least, we, we've um, shown quite a few times that there there is this distinct difference. You do the, the concentric only, you know, the knee flexion. Someone then lowers the weight for you, and then just keep doing those. Those knee flexions and it's and it's it is heavy. It's is it is of an appropriate relative intensity. Um, that we do see this shortening of the, the fascicle length, uh, so increased pination, decreased fascicle length. So um, on the other hand, the, with the eccentric only, and, and maybe this will, will help with some of the, the mobility stuff. I'm not quite sure. We, we'd have to uh, we'd have to explore that. Have to investigate. But you know the uh, the lengthening, active lengthening, and, and very super maximal, well above your your 1RM, your concentric 1RM, um, we, we see these changes decrease in pination angle and a, an a increase in that, um, that fascicle. So I think it'd be, uh, it'd be cool to, to start uh, exploring some of that work in, in surfing in particular. And, and theoretically, if, uh, you know, with the, the greater contractility and um, you know, the speed of, of shortening with those longer fascicles, so perhaps that's, that can further assist with the, the force production um, during paddling, of course, with correct technique. Um, <laughs> yeah, good one. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's all stuff that it, I'd, I'd certainly love to, um, to throw at the, the surfing research and, and see, you know, delve into the muscle architecture. We know that that, that determines function. So um, yeah, I think it would be, be quite interesting. So let me let, let me ask you guys a question uh, off base. If uh, professional footballers came to you and said, "We want you guys to do stuff for us," would you depart the whole surf research right now? I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going into surfing. All right, right on. He's, he's true. He's true. <laughs> so he's, a, he's a one sport only man. Yeah. 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 The other hand. <laughs> More in the bed, the merrier, I say. <laughs> did you? When did you guys get into surfing? Like young? I started. Um, well, so originally I'm from um, Girona. It's a little town very close to Barcelona. It's one hour drive. Um, Mediterranean, um, like Costa Brava, it's called there. Um, very calm sea, um, windy sometimes, but no waves. Just in winter, occasionally. So unfortunately, I didn't discover surfing until I was about perhaps 14, 13 years old. And that was in California. That was in California. That was the first time I surfed. Um, and I loved it since the first day I started. I had, I've always been in the ocean. My dad um, loves fishing and uh, water skiing. So I've always been in the ocean. Um, but since I went to California, I tried surfing for the first time. Then came back to Spain. I bought a board in um, Jack Surfboards in Huntington. 
um, bought it, uh, brought it back home and then just kept surfing there. And then lucky when I was 18, I could start getting my car and driving up north. In the north of Spain, we have some good ways. Um, Portugal, France, and then we would travel to Morocco a lot. Then I was lucky to move to the Canary Islands. I lived there for three years. I was working there and surfing every day. And then I've been, I moved to Australia and I've been surfing every day since, since I got here. <laughs> you got the bug and then you stayed close. You stayed yeah, close to yeah, the coast. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Steve? Yeah. Well, my, my experience was nowhere near as exotic as that. Uh, <laughs> no one's is, so... Uh, I can't be that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, I grew up, so my uh, adolescence, um, until the age of 12, pretty much on the uh, border of the Simpson Desert, uh, about four or 500 kilometers inland. Um, there was nothing but red dirt, sand, spin effects, and tabletop <laughs> mountains. Um, so yeah, couldn't be further from the surf. Uh, when I, in my teenage years, I was up in a place which is sort of affected by the Great Barrier Reef and a shipping channel. It was a, a town that was very much built on heavy industry. Uh, there wasn't much, as I said, surf that got there. So it wasn't until I was in my, my 20s that I started showing interest in, in surfing. And even then I was living up at Brisbane, so making the trip down can be, uh, be challenging, work commitment. So it's only really since being on the coast, or say the, the last five, six years that I've really been um, you know, getting into the, the surfing. So very much started late in, in life. So yeah, it's, um, but it's, I mean, once you're, once you get the bug, that's you, isn't it? Like you just want to get yeah, out there as much yeah, as you're possible. In the, you're in the tribe, and it's in your blood, and you're 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 done for. All other commitments are, are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of board meetings. You just call them a board meeting. And it's <laughs> <laughs> I, I now live a kilometer from Crumbin Alley. I, I mean, the Crumbin Alley is packed. It's far from a secret spot, but it's just uh, it's amazing, amazing mm. place. The beautiful yeah, Point Break, nice beautiful big rock. Sunsets, mornings, like the water, the colours, oh, it's spectacular. Yeah, yeah. but uh, just uh, just a bit of football um, research. We've actually, we do have some that's happening at the moment. Um, so I'll take this opportunity to uh, to give a little plug and, and get people uh, keen on the uh, the findings. So it's uh, six elite football teams. It's uh, two from the Australian Football League, which is our elite Aussie rules football. Um, and the other is the uh, the elite rugby league, so the national rugby league, or AFL and NRL, as we refer to them. And um, we're following on for some some of my colleagues, Julie Hyde's work with Multifidus, um, just trying to uh, understand, I guess, the the relationship between the cross sectional area of the the lumbar multifidus and and risk of non contact lower limb injury. And we've also thrown in a, a little novel strength test that's got a, a fatigue component in it. So we we're looking at hip and, and trunk extensor strength and also the, the fatigability. So a little um, fatiguing protocol, as I said in there, um, and we're looking to see whether that, you know, or the trunk strength and fatigue is a, a risk factor for injury. So it's um, it's actually the, the largest uh, prospective injury study that's been conducted today to, uh, on, within the, the NRL. So there's, there's some exciting, exciting stuff there. Um, and again, everything is affected by COVID, um, but we were we were nearly in a, in a sticky position. We went and collected this data at the start of the year, the cross-sectional area for quadratus and borum, multifidus, the strength. Uh, and then of course, for prospective studies to happen, you need the season to occur. 
and so it got cancelled and we you know, we spent five weeks traveling the country to collect this uh this data so yeah. whew, but it's happening it's happening now so it's um yeah so I, I i enjoy football i enjoy surfing still play football so it's um yeah it's uh it's exciting do you per do you prefer uh uh australian aussie rules the to rugby uh, I live in Queensland, so I actually can't say that I prefer AFL. <laughs> you, only, you guys only have what one team up in Queensland? Two, one, two, two AFL and uh, two NRL. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, no, I, I enjoy them both. Like I, 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 you know, you have your diehards that won't ever watch a game of the other one, um, but that's not me. Like I, they're both completely different games, and I, I like them for, for different aspects. So it's um, no, me the I got. I got to tell you this story about my first AFL game. I was down there with my old job, and uh, I was visiting a friend. So he took me to St Kilda. Uh, I forgot who they were, who they were playing, but we were up and we were having our little meat pies and our beers and our <laughs> fish and chips, and we were like, just I was just enamored with this sport. Like yeah. nobody would stop running, and I was just like, what What's going on? Like how do they not get tired, right? And there's this lady. And she's cursing like a sailor at the players. Like, you bleep, bleep, bleep. You, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. That was a bleep, bleep, crappy play. And my grand, my grandson can can run better than that. And I, and I turn around and it's like an 80-year-old woman. Yeah. Like, just fired up about, <laughs> about this game. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh... The Victorians, in particular, they absolutely love Aussie Rules footy and, and the AFL. But uh, but Melbourne Knights, as you as you would experience, like they could uh, they could fill the MCG, which is a hundred thousand people plus for a uh, for a game of ping pong. Like they they sport mad. They they love it down in Victoria. So it's a, it's a great great place to go, uh, especially for the, the sport. I'm not too keen on the the cold. Um, but Bell's Beach is down there. Sneak across to uh, Geelong and. <laughs> Where you go, yeah. Jim. I don't think we're gonna get Steve to visit here then if he's not cold. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> we might be able to get Perry up here. What do you think? Bring my jumper. <laughs> How cold is it now? Well, the water temperature doesn't change year round. It's uh, between fifty-five and sixty Fahrenheit. Mm. Um, so. It's the air temps, and the air temps. Not too bad, but <laughs> I I wear a hood all year round. If that tells yeah, you, yeah, I wear I wear a hood all year round too. Yeah, but no no booties. <laughs> I need as much dorsiflexion my ankles like as I can get. <laughs> well, hey, thanks guys. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, what's kind of the best way to to touch base with you guys? Yeah, I've uh, I've got. I mean. Email, you can always search me on the, the Griffith uh, website, Steve Dewey, Griffith Uni, and you'll see my um, my page on there, uh, social medias, um, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, the, the big ones, but um, I really I focus my, my social media in terms of Instagram toward the, the my profession, my professional life. So yeah, email or one of the, uh, the social medias is, is good. Same here, yeah. Instagram probably mm. the surf pentagon surf pentagon yeah absolutely 
Very cool. Thank you guys for sharing your time today and, and your knowledge. And man, you guys have definitely an invite if you're ever in the States again. Absolutely. Um, That'd be and, awesome. Uh, we'll <laughs> let you know when we're, when we're visiting you guys, whenever this, whenever we can travel again. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Eh? Hopefully soon. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we should, we should certainly do this again in I don't know, 12 months or something. And we can, uh, we can give you an update as to all the exciting research that we've, uh, that we've mentioned. I'd yeah. love that. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Keep us posted. Yeah, we will do. All keep, right. Right on keep, guys. Keep showing mobility helps strength. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we'll get, sure, those, we'll get those videos out. So if those are interested in, in seeing what the mobility exercises that we were using, they can, uh, they can check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks guys. Appreciate it. And, uh, and stay safe and healthy and we'll, uh, we'll talk in 12 months or sooner. Thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot guys. All right guys. Thanks. See ya. See you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there you have it. That was pretty cool. So if you guys want to learn more about Dr. Stephen Duig and what they're doing at Griffith university, you can contact him directly at the university. And if you're interested in Perry's, Surf Pentagon, you can contact him directly as well. Of course, feel free to send us comments, questions, suggestions for new episodes uh, to myself, Rob at surfingpaddling.com or Jim at uh, saltypt.com. Until next time, we'll see you in the water.